When I'm asked to speak, um, I write notes as I go along, so it depends on how long I've known about it. I keep them on my phone or in a book. Um, just the things that God brings my way, um, and I feel like there's a bit of life in them, and so I, and I write them down. So imagine my surprise when last week, Becky Cox, unbeknown to me, has read my notes and speaks my talk. I, I was taking notes, and I gave up after a very short while, because I thought, I've heard this before. It's been going through my head. But to be honest, she did a brilliant job. So this is, if you want to hear part one of my talk in Becky's voice last week, you can find it on the website. And so this is um, part two. I, I suppose for some of you, you don't know who I am, so let me introduce myself. I, I am Cheryl. Um, I'm mother to many. Um, I'm a lover of Jesus. I'm also married. My husband loves me very much. Um, he has to. Um, uh, it's my honor and privilege to work for the church. You pay me to do things that bring me complete joy. Um, I have a day set aside in my week where Pete's at home looking after my kids and doing a great job. And um, it says joy day in my diary because it's not a work day, it's a joy day. Um, so we're in a long series, interspersed with loads of other things, about the Bible. And I've really loved the Bible project material, and I particularly have um, appreciated the prompts from the office to read them, because um, I forget. Um, there's really loads available um, through that project, so do go and take a look, because we haven't touched it all and we haven't seen it all. Um, I know that I need to have a better grasp about uh, different kinds of literature in the Bible and how to read it and understand it. So I think the heading for my talk is uh, how I read the Bible. So Many of us have got a really mixed relationship with the Bible, or we've had a big mixed history with it, and even if you haven't, I have. We know that Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, that's what it says in 2 Timothy. Um, it says it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, um, and at the time, Paul was actually not talking about the New Testament. He would have been talking about the Old Testament. I know there's a lot of wisdom and truth in the Bible, but there's also some super crazy bits, like the book of Revelation, which only just made it into the Bible as we know it. I can just see the committee all sitting round. What should we pop in the Bible? Scratching their heads, saying, are we absolutely sure we should put that in there? John's a good bloke, but was he having a funny day? And I don't know if you've read Hosea, chapter 1. Go and take yourself an adulterous wife. That's to Hosea. I was just like, for real? I'm not sure what Hosea, Hosea thought about it, but I can really imagine what his mother was thinking, although maybe he didn't bother telling her. In James, chapter 1, sorry, now Henry's lost the plot. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Really? And what about Philippians 4, verse 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bet you've heard that in song form. So I can leap from tall buildings and not get hurt, can't I? My children frequently ask me what superpower I would like to have. And what about Mark 16? The context is that Jesus has risen from the dead and he says these signs will accompany those who believe. 
They will drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes, drink deadly poison, and the sick will get well. Hallelujah, I'm working on them. So then in the Proverbs, Graham actually talked about them um, in Proverbs 25, verse 4 and 5. They're bonkers. So it says in verse 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be like him. And then in verse 5 it says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. There are verses about trouble and also about prosperity, and apparently you can have them both at the same time on the same day. In Genesis, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The author of Genesis? Probably Moses. Can't imagine that happening in England. Not even in Wales, actually. Anyway, In Elijah, in the Book of Kings, so there's this big showdown between Elijah, God, the prophets of Baal and Baal. And um, it doesn't say this in most translations, but apparently, when Elijah's having a bit of a rant because Baal hasn't pitched up and set fire to everything, um, in the original Hebrew, it actually says that the reason that he may not have pitched up is because he was relieving himself. Now, nobody has ever told me that, except for my scripture teacher, who was teaching me O-level, um, who was a family friend. Now, none of these crazy things prove or disprove anything other than I think it compels us to have a bigger picture of the Bible. And also to kind of avoid the promise box mentality. Does anybody remember promise boxes? I don't think they're a thing anymore, but um, my mum had one actually that somebody gave her. Um, it was a box made, and it had little rolls of paper in it and Bible verses in it, and it was a kind of lucky dip. You know, you kind of, whatever was going on, you pick it up. Now, we know that all scripture is good, but uh, sometimes we need, to know, uh, we need to know the person who gave us the scriptures, not just pick and mix. So the Bible is pretty weird, and it's infuriating. Uh, I found it really helpful in my relationship with the Bible to move away from exclusively reading it, or to think about it in those terms, just reading the Bible, but more of um, soaking in it and soaking my life in it. So uh, even though possibly I will say things like reading the Bible, I don't really mean reading the Bible. I mean absorbing it in any way you fancy. So you can watch it, you can hear it, you don't need to read it. Um, one of my kids is dyslexic. There are lots of ways that we can hear what God is saying to us through the Bible. I really love my hard copy of the Bible. I'll show it to you. It's quite flashy. My friend gave it to me. It's um, unmissable. Um, I have recently uh, taken to carrying it around the house um, uh, as a visual reminder because I like visual. Um, and it reminds me not just to read but also to connect with God, I think. There can be lots of ways that you can do visual reminders. Um, I can remember years ago somebody really telling me about they put Bible verses up around the house and I saw a picture of it and thought that is really not where I'm at but lo and behold the internet has arrived and you can find all manner of free printables in beautiful designs and um, that you can put up um, and you can change them around you don't have to have the same ones up for 20 years you can get something else do one every week um, I thought because I'm really visual Bible a Bible app does not work for me, Bible 
um, on my phone or on a um, device. Um, but I do use, a, uh, I have used, and sometimes do uh, use an app for connecting with God, and that includes Bible readings. Um, and also in the past, I've signed up to Bible readings in, in an email form that pop up every day in your box. So just in the last few weeks, through books, actually reading the Bible, podcasts, email lists, uh, here's some things that I've been thinking about. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's in Psalm 34, verse 18. From the ends of the earth will I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's in Psalm 61, verse 2. If you're feeling brokenhearted, Psalms is a good place to go. I've been thinking about how in the Old Testament... It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And then Jesus changes the game completely. And he says, you've got to love one another as I have loved you. I've been reading about how God is not afraid. He's not afraid of my anxiety. He's not afraid of my vulnerability. He's not afraid of my wounds or my anger or any of my emotions or my addictions or my control. And he doesn't retreat he pursues. That prioritizing our connection over issues is a victory. And in Hebrews 15, it says, I will never under any circumstances desert you, nor give up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax any hold on you. If you recognize translations, that could only be from the Amplified and in Job, it says, 23 it particularly says, that Job can't see God, he can't find him, and he can't perceive him. And it's Job's dark night of the soul. Some of us have had dark nights of our souls. But he goes on to say that even though he doesn't know where God is, that God knows where Job is. He is not lost. And we have not lost him. So I would encourage you, but don't do them all at the same time, to read your Bible in a year or a lifetime, to read whole chapters or read whole books of the Bible at once. I, in my Bible, it has um, a list of the books which you can tick if you like ticking boxes, and it actually tells you um, how long on average it takes to read the book, a, a book from the Bible. And some of them are really short, and you can start with the books that start go like they're five minutes to read. Um, you could read some books that are the same kind of type, like the prophets or things like poetry. You could read Proverbs. You could read the Gospels. You can read it fast. You can read it slow. You could read it out loud. That's a really good thing to do. You can sing it. Um, read books about the Bible or commentaries or even fiction about the Bible. You can read themes. You can read what God says about you. Um, sometimes when I do, I teach in junior church, I, I do that with the kids. We, we talk about um, the verses from the Bible that say who we are, because it's really important for their identity that they understand that the Bible has something to say about them. And actually, that's more true than the things they think about themselves. You can read books about the Bible. You can ask people you know, they've got some life about them, or maybe that um, are a bit further on in their journey with Jesus, um, what they do, what brings you life. 
might be at the moment. I think a lot of us have, um, I kind of think that sometimes we honor people who do things for the, the same things for a very long time, but sometimes we just need to um, change it up. Um, you could read a different translation. There are lots of translations, and you are always going to find somebody that is going to tr try and prove to you that that particular version is inaccurate. <laughs> Don't look it up on, a Bible, in a, on the internet. But I find it really, really difficult to imagine that people who work in this field are working really hard to mess up our theology. Well, possibly in a bad way. Uh, Becky mentioned watching movies with a biblical theme, and I remembered that I went to watch Prince of Egypt. I just had Charlie. Opens with a scene where Jochebed puts Moses in the basket to save him. I think there are crocodiles in the river in the film. Oh, my days. Uh, kind of sort of exposed me to a depth of story that I had never actually experienced before, having read it for years and years and years. And no surprises to my family, but I was crying, and I possibly might have even sobbed. <laughs> Shake it up a bit, you know? Um, the other reason I, I didn't say it was about, about reading other translations is that sometimes when we've been reading the same translation for a very long time, we kind of don't read it. We kind of know what it says, and we just kind of skim over it. I am the queen of speed reading. It infuriates everybody in my family. Um, and so, for, particularly for me, when I said about reading out loud, that's really helpful, slows me down. I don't skip, I don't skim, I don't assume what's there. I, I read really what is on the page. One of my friends once stopped reading the Bible completely. I was a little surprised because she didn't strike me as that kind of, yeah, it was just a shock. And she said to me that she realized that she actually treated reading the Bible a bit like a lucky charm. It was kind of went like this. I'll read the Bible and I'll have a good day. I don't read the Bible and I have a bad day. It's because I didn't read the Bible. Now, that was a long time ago. I think nearly 30 years ago she did that. Um, she wasn't saying there was something wrong with the Bible. She was saying that there was something wrong with her approach to the Bible and that she actually was be believing a lie about it. And so she switched it up and she said that she committed to connecting with Jesus. And, you know, she did go back to reading the Bible, but it, it just was that her mindset about it was just unhelpful. Um, and it wasn't actually bringing any, any connection with Jesus. Advent is here, nearly here, not to freak you out or anything. I won't tell you how many days there are to Christmas, but you could ask Lydia because she bet she knows. How about uh, you read the story of Jesus coming to us? Or there's loads of Advent scheme, reading schemes, actually. There's another one um, which um, I've heard about uh, and used, so, but I don't know how many people would have heard about it here. It's called the Jesse Tree. Um, there are lots of free ones available, and um, it tells the story in readings over Advent about the story of Jesus from creation to his coming. You can just Google the Jesse tree. It'll flood you with things you never knew about. And how about you memorize some scripture? No, it's not just for kids. 
In our family, we have some CDs called Sing the Word. Uh, there's loads of other ones available. Um, and sometimes I'm a bit perplexed by them choosing particular verses. So recently I was listening in the car with the kids to one of their CDs, and it, the song was Awake, O Sluggard. And I was like, there's a lot of verses in the Bible. I'm sure you could have picked a different one. So they can be a bit cheesy, a bit cringy, but boy, do they stick in your head. I particularly love them because they tell you the Bible reference in the song, so you, you don't, you're not just thinking, where the heck is that from? Um, so do tell your kids, if you've got something like that, that it is actually the Bible, um, because I've realized on reflection and age that loads and loads and loads and loads of songs that I sang, particularly as a kid and a teenager, were actually scripture, but I didn't actually have a clue because nobody told me. Um, my family can do A to Z in Bible verse songs, and it has been known for people in my family to quite start quietly singing when a Bible verse is quoted in church. Um, once, most, in fact, most often, it is um, put on the full armor of God, and it's like a bit of a Jewish kind of tune, and uh, sometimes I've had texts across the, across the hall or messages saying, uh, singing notes, um, and you can tell, even if you can't hear them, that they're thinking about the song because their heads move like this. <laughs> they're like... Um, so obviously, we're not hanging, and I'm hoping my kids are not hanging, their understanding of the Bible um, and God um, on 26 verses. But memorizing scripture is really good as um, we have a well we can draw on, and as we li- just as we live our lives... Um, Uh, One verse, I found it really helpful to know, um, and I know lots of verses, courtesy of Sing the Word, um, but one verse I just was thinking about and thought, this verse is just brilliant to know in life, and it's 1 John 1. um, It says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because when the enemy comes to shame me, I must know what my standing is before God. And I remind myself and him of that verse. You know, a few things um, I've learned over the years, things that have developed and my perspective has changed. I mean, there's loads of these, but I just thought I'd pick a few. So it took me 25 years to realize that as well as the prodigal son getting his inheritance from his father, that the older brother got his too. Um, It took me another four-ish years to understand that when the son returns and the father lifts his robes and runs towards him, that he is effectively taking on the son's shame. That the fruit of the spirit is not a piece of fruit for every attribute, so you get love and joy and peace, but actually each attribute is part of a fruit. In Isaiah 54, there's a verse that talks about enlarging your tents, and I'm sure we've all heard about different contexts that people have heard that verse, but I used to think about it in the sense of um, making my own place bigger or my own influence bigger um, or that God wants more for me. That's not necessarily not true, but that's what I thought about it. But a different perspective um, was shared with me about from a man who was speaking who was from a Jewish background, and he was sharing that actually when you enlarge your tent, there is less distance between us. Because if I enlarge my tent and you enlarge your tent, we're all a bit more close, living more closely. Um, and that really changed my perspective on those verses. I often think about that when we're camping. 
Um, God does not cause horrible events or situations or want them, but that he is so good at working all things together for good that we have sometimes fallen into the trap of thinking that he must have orchestrated them or he is punishing us. There are just so many more, and I don't really think I've arrived in my understanding of those verses or anything. In the Bible, there's growth and pruning, there's sowing and reaping, there's adoption, there are journeys, there are highs, there are lows, there are deserts, there are crosses, there's pressing forward and resting back, there's praise, there's correction, there are deaths to die, and there are resurrections to live. And boy, oh boy, is there some mystery. I've realized as I get older, there's more of that than I ever thought. There's one truth, well, there's a few, but this uh, is the first truth um, that I've been thinking about uh, that I would like to have understood more as a child. And the fact is that the Bible is a love story. It's not a book of rules or heroes, although there are some of both in it. It's an adventure story about a hero who comes from his kingdom to win back lost treasure. It's a love story about a prince who leaves his palace, his throne, and everything to rescue the one he loves. And that's me. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling a big story. And that God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, and breaking always and forever love. And this is the book that has taught me more than any about that. Becky brought her copy last week. It looks different, but this is my copy. Um, I, we have a lot of books in our house. Um, I like books. It might be a problem. Don't tell my husband I said that. Um, I bought this book um, a long time ago, and we read it uh, before, Christmas, before Christmas that particular year. I don't think I got through chapter one without crying. Probably didn't get through. I don't normally get through Advent without sobbing most days. Um, Becky said, buy it and give it to someone. Why don't you just buy it? Hold on to it. Because it presents the gospel. It presents the story of Jesus, God's big story, in such a way that we don't need to read it once. And because the language is different to what we're used to reading, I think it provokes in us. We're surprised by it. That's a good thing, actually, to be surprised by the story of Jesus. We've been, many of us have been listening to that for years, and um, it's good to be provoked, even by children's books, particularly by children's books. Just because the Bible isn't a book of rules, it doesn't mean there aren't any. And our own perspectives and the way that we see life can skew how we think um, of rules, and often they're there to we feel like they're there to constrain us. But if we have a different perspective on um, God's story as a love story, then when God says, don't do it, it's not because he's a cosmic killjoy, but because he's a lover of my soul. And you know, if you've never read it, it's okay. And he's not going to set fire to you. You're not going to go up and smoke. Um, and also, if you've never read it, it doesn't mean that uh, you, don't, you can't know God and that you can't meet Jesus. Something else I would like to have understood was that reading the Bible is supposed to lead us to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not quite sure I missed that, but it took me a long time to learn it. 
Studying for the sake of studying it is missing the point. The Pharisees, they knew the scriptures inside out, but they didn't actually recognize Jesus for who he was. A perspective that helps me when thinking about the Bible is that just because I don't see what is written in the Bible in me or around me doesn't mean it's not the truth, and it doesn't mean it was for then and not for now, and it doesn't mean that it's impossible to see in my lifetime. For example, the verses in Mark 16, which I mentioned earlier, list the signs that follow those who believe. And Jesus and I are working on that. And sometimes it means I have to give some things a try more, like praying for people. Except maybe snakes and particularly poison. Maybe somebody with a better theological background could help me with that one. People have been wrestling with the Bible for years and years and will continue to do so for many more years. And it helps me to remember this so that I can guard my heart against arrogance. I think many of us growing up in the church feel like we have to prove our beliefs and that those beliefs must be absolute. So, well, now I know I'm a heretic. Well, at least my 28-year-old self would think that my 48-year-old self was one. When we take immovable and absolute stances, we can be arrogant. It doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't say things, but it's our attitude, really. And we're usually, when we're trying to argue a point, not always prioritizing connection. Sometimes I might come across as woolly, Um, in some circumstances, although I hope the word is gracious. Um, But to prioritize a connection with somebody, then I will take the risk. I and we so need each other in relationship and community to wrestle this life and the scriptures through. Although we have a kind of individualistic view about ourselves and many other things in our society, we actually really do need to bump up against each other and realize that maybe the way that we read the Bible and interpret it um, is because of a family perspective or a cultural perspective. Um, I'm from Wales. There are plenty of cultural differences between Pete and I. Sometimes it's about lies we believe, and they can be about ourselves. Oh, they can be about God. Not all of them have to be bad. But that's one of the reasons I actually really love the church, is that we can be different and not agree on everything. And we can still be in relationship with one another. And we can work to see the kingdom of God come in our world, in our city, in our families. I love the bits of the body of Christ that I'm not very familiar with. If you've, Well, I love the Catholic Church's uh, teaching on communication communion I it's completely different to what I grew up with but it has some fascinating insights and we have to remember sometimes when we're looking at other churches or other traditions that even if we think they're heretics they actually think we're heretics so we should be a little bit more gracious I grew up in an era where um, people burnt books that they didn't completely agree with and now I read books and think well Where's the gold in it? Or what resonates with me? And sometimes I just don't understand it. But I've been reading a lot of books over the years, and what I understood when I was 20 is not what I understand now when I'm in my 40s. And if we have relationship and community with each other, I don't think we need to be worrying about stuff that lends us to scratching our heads about the Godhead or the Bible or, I dare say it, listening to podcasts or sermon by people we might label as heretics. Uh, Well, 
What I mean by that is having a different understanding to us. I was really inspired recently to hear a podcast where the theologian N.T. Wright, who's written 80-something books on the Bible, talked about changing his position on a particular teaching from the Bible that he had held for many years. And reading that uh, a man that many of you will know called R.T. Kendall has swapped the version of the Bible he's currently using. In years gone by, people have had to prove what they believe, their theology, their practice, and their lives literally depended on it. And you would be sure to know to be right and to have the right theology, depending on the historical period, if you appreciated living. You might think that's irrelevant. We're long past that. But actually, mindsets last generations. And sometimes they last generations in the church. When Jean was leading last week, she said at the end about us taking a moment to share some verses that are important to us, and maybe they would be important to the person that they shared them with. You shared them with. So I'm going to share some of mine. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Take to heart these words that I give you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home or away, when you lie down or you get up. When I was young, in my teens, I was very lonely, and I used to have a right moan at God about being on my own. And then one day God said, you're not alone. My response was less than gracious. There are quite a lot of verses in the Bible that say this. And when I start, what I started to do was acknowledge actually my feelings that were behind that by saying I was lonely and then read out what God had said about being with me. Um, and over time, about being honest about my feelings actually um, meant that I could ask God what to do in that moment about my feelings, um, but also led to me eventually not actually saying that I was alone because actually I'm not alone. That is the truth. There are loads of verses in the Bible about not being alone, so um, I am not listed them all. Another chapter that's spoken to me over the years is um, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the, from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. There's more to that chapter, but I won't read any more. You know, that spoke to me because I used to feel that my pain and my wounds were a disqualification, but the verses show me that I can display the splendor of God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46, verse 10. Um, this has been a verse that I've appreciated for many years, but recently Becca wrote it on a piece of paper for me and stuck it next to my bed, but I, I can't remember what the circumstances were. But when this verse comes to my mind, that it's God reminding me to stop and refocus and not make myself frantic and not to use control 
and remember that he is the way maker. In Joshua 1, there are these verses. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be success- successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on, on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. And then these particular verses. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you forever, wherever you go. On the morning of 2nd of September 2010, I was feeling a little frazzled. I was trying to get five children to get ready to go to the doctor's surgery for a very early appointment. Megan hadn't been very well, and we'd been to the GP a few times about it, and I had to apologize to a 12-year-old Charlie for being harsh, and he said, Mum, God wants you to know that he is saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In that moment, I knew that I was facing something truly terrifying. But I also knew that there was a God who walked before me and alongside me. And for the benefit of uh, those who who don't know me or my family, um, Megan was diagnosed with leukemia on that day. She was two and a half. Didn't my experience of the shadow of death change my perspective on Psalm 23? What about Psalm 56, verse 8? You have collected my tears in your bottle. Boy, doesn't that mean that my Jesus sees my emotions? These verses are amazing, and they've so impacted my life, and you can have them too, because apparently I can't monopolize them. So uh, they're a witness of God, who he is, and that he's actually at work, and they've helped sustain me in all sorts of circumstances. But... They are not the anchor for my soul, because Jesus is. And in my most desperate times, it has been the very presence of Jesus that I remember. When I was speaking, thinking about speaking, I had a memory of my teenage self sitting at a desk using Every Day with Jesus. Anybody, I don't even know if it still exists. um, Saying, I should read the Bible The word should is for another sermon, but it's not a good word. A few days later, I remember sitting down and reading all the days that I'd missed, because you obviously have to be on the right day for the right reading. Because somehow I was operating as if the relationship with God was about performance and not personal. And when you combine that with a standard of perfection, you have a really perfect grace killer. And that just leads to shame. And he is the lifter of our shame. I'm not saying I've nailed it, because sometimes that shame still rears its head, and I just have to deal with that. Engaging with the Bible, God and his story, is not about perfection, but about a person. And the Bible tells tells us that that person loves me and apparently you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Um, I'm very conscious of the time and that the kids have come back. Um, but I just, um, 
I, I was just thinking, you know what? Jesus always wants to lift our shame. So if you feel shame, um, we can pray for you for that. Um, if you feel shame related to the Bible, like I have felt, then we can pray for that. If you're hurting in your body, we can pray for that. We can pray for healing. And particularly, if you don't think you're clever enough to read or understand the Bible, um, we can pray for that too. In Corinthians, um, it says that we have the mind of Christ. That's really got to affect our understanding of his word.